Well, welcome again, uh, especially those of you who are tuning in from, from home or elsewhere. We're happy that, that you are. Um, one of the things, as this microphone's rolling across the stage, I'll keep it up here. <laughs> one of the things that uh, drew me uh, to grace, and perhaps many of you, um, is its heart for artists. As you walk through the gallery today, you're reminded that this church not only has a lot of artists in it, but has a deep compassion for people who create things. And so just to kind of, especially those of you who are new to our church, just to kind of give you a sense um, for who, who's here, you know, who, who's in our church body, in our church family, I'd love for you, if you consider yourself a creative, and you don't have to necessarily do it, you know, for your profession, but if you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're a builder, if you're an engineer, let's see, if you're an influencer, um, I wrote a few other ones down, if, if you like to sew, if you like to just make things with your hands, raise your hand. My goodness, that's a lot more than I anticipated. Amazing. Now, if, you, if you've ever embroidered something, I wouldn't raise my hand. I'm scared. Um, would you raise your hand if you've ever embroidered something? A lot of you. Amazing. Well, we actually have um, a few pieces that uh, I'd like to throw up on the screen by some people in our, in our church family. The first one is by Patty Lynch. Um, you can see here a mountainscape. And then the back side of it, too, um, she, she showed me the picture. So lots of, um, so can you flip back uh, to the front? So um, we have a mountainscape with, you know, some sort of sunrise or sunset, I can't tell, maybe sunrise, and then um, the back being kind of the, the knots and tangles. Um, and then we have another, uh, another piece by, I've, I've been told, Barbara A. Bear's great-grandmother, she thinks. Um, so this is a beautiful piece as well. And then the back side, um, you know, so embroidery takes hours upon hours. Patty said she worked on her piece for months on end. And, um, you know, depending on sort of the, the design, uh, it can take hours, uh, even weeks. And to borrow an illustration, the kingdom of God and the parables that reveal that Jesus taught that witness to the kingdom of God are a lot like embroidery. Um, there's knots and tangles. It can be confusing to try to discern what Jesus is saying. But Jesus helps flip, flip it on its head and show us the beauty of his kingdom. And we need him to show us the beauty of what it means to live under the rule and reign of God, which is what it means to live in the kingdom. So think about the kingdom that way. And in each... Uh, week in the last several months, we've been working our way through the book of Mark, and we've been asking the question every single week, what does it mean to follow Jesus today? What does it mean to be a disciple in now 2022? And today we're, we're trying to discern, we're trying to understand, how can we detect the beauty of the kingdom of God and all of the knots and tangles of this world? And Jesus tells us to do three things. To listen patiently, to trust the process, and to not be deceived by appearances. 
Listen patiently, trust the process, and don't be deceived by appearances. Um, with that, I wonder if you might stand once more for the, the reading of God's word from Mark chapter 4. Our central text today is found in Mark 4. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown in the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the other garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the first thing we need to do to see the beauty of God's kingdom is to listen patiently to Jesus. Um, you know, he's, he begins with this familiar image of bringing a lamp into a dark room. And what he's doing there is he's saying, like a lamp bringing, brought into a room that was formerly dark, I, Jesus, am revealing to you, I'm illuminating to you what the kingdom of God is really like what the rule and reign of God is like. But what Jesus says next uh, needed a little bit of unpacking, so let's read uh, verse 23 through 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more, one more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so in just two verses, he says either hear or pay attention four times. And then he tells us why in verse 24. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And that word measure is kind of like a, a measuring stick or, or a standard. And in other words, it's, it's how we assess what is our attitude toward what uh, Jesus is teaching us. What's your attitude like when you hear these weird parables? Are you receptive to them? Or do you sort of just ignore them as um, archaic, silly stories? So Jesus is saying, if you listen, if you listen, if you, if you let in what he's teaching you in an authentic way, 
then still more will be added to you. Love, peace, joy, abundant. In this life and the next, that's what Jesus is saying. If you listen in, if you lean in when I teach, these things and more will be added to you. But if we choose to ignore him, if we blow him off, if we blow his words kind of away, ignore them, and consequently depend on ourselves and build our own kingdoms, as it were, without receiving his words. So he's saying those people are the ones who have not. Just kind of depending on ourselves, building our own kingdoms. He's saying that even what we have, even your own little kingdoms will be taken away in the end. And so if we choose our kingdom rather than his, he's saying that even that will be taken away eventually. One scholar said this to kind of summarize so far what he said. The degree to which one hears his parables, the extent to which one allows the kingdoms to break upon oneself, will determine the measure of one's understanding. Those who hear, those who knock until the door is opened, will find the kingdom disclosed to them. But those of hurried search, whose knock at the door of life is tentative and brief, will find a once joyous invitation to enter the kingdom to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. And this is why we must patiently listen to what he has to say. So students, uh, kids in the room, youth in the room, have you ever listened to an album all the way through? Some, yeah, some, exactly. What's an album? Um, yeah, they're like, well, I don't understand the question. Um, you know, uh, the, the sort of mu- music streaming, right? We can kind of click and play whatever we want. But before that, uh, and, you know, we had, we had these things called albums. And you'd, you'd put them on this, this big table called a turntable. And you'd drop a needle on it. A needle, I know it's weird. And somehow it would turn and play music. And you would listen to track one through usually four or five. If it was short songs like Beatles songs, you could fit like six songs on one side. Um, but yeah, you would listen to an album all the way through. That's actually how most uh, art, um, you know, artists did it back in the day. For those of you who, who have listened to albums all the way through, what's your favorite album of all time? Which one? Which record? Yellow Submarine. All right. I like that one. Um, anybody else? Favorite album ever? Chicago Live. All right. Anybody else? Rebecca? Okay. You too, Joshua Tree. One more, one more, just for fun. What is it? Anita Baker. Which, which uh, record? Rapture. All right. Awesome. So think about your favorite album of all time. And then think about this question. Was it always or was it instantly your favorite? So my favorite record of all time is by a band probably you've never heard of called Wilco. And their, their record, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I did not actually like at first. It, it, it kind of just like went over my head. I, I wasn't really into it. But the more I listened, and my friend had encouraged me, hey, listen to it again. It's what he called a grower album. A grower album. The more you listen to it, at least for me, the more sort of the, the beauty really sur- surfaced. The, um, it's very, 
it's, it's a little out there, but it's very sophisticated, and I love the songwriting, and Jeff Tweedy, his voice, just uh, one of my favorites ever. But the reason why I bring it up is because I wasn't alone in saying that this record was, I didn't like it at first. Actually, the, the record company, um, AOL Time Warner, hated it and said, do another record or we're going to drop you. And they said, no, this is the record we're going to, this is our record. This is what we made and we like it. And they said, okay, we're dropping you. And then, this was the early days of the internet, 2002, it, got, it garnered so much attention online millions of downloads when that wasn't really a thing yet. And so Time Warner, another sub subsidiary, bought it back for like 10 times as much. So they lost like all this money for no reason. If they had only patiently listened, they wouldn't have wasted all this money. We may not understand Jesus at first. Um, we may not even like what we hear from him, but we're called, he calls us to patiently listen to him as we would a growing an album that's a grower album and then jesus proceeds from there to teach us two parables and so let's do that now let's patiently listen to what he has to say so that the kingdom can make an impression can hollow itself into our lives that's the goal so he first teaches us from there to trust the process uh, look at verse 26 with me and he said the kingdom of god is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So Jesus said, like he says in many places, even in, earlier in chapter 4, that the kingdom is like a man scattering seed on the ground. Uh, you know, many of us, when we read this, if you've grown up in the church, you're used to it. But if, you're, if, if you haven't, you kind of read this and you're like, why did he pick such kind of like a humdrum metaphor? A sort of, I'll, I'll say it, a boring metaphor to talk about the kingdom. He had all these exciting metaphors at his disposal, right? It could have been like a, a powerful storm or a majestic precipice. I don't know. But he chose a seed, that grows slowly. Jesus is teaching that the kingdom is not flashy. It's inconspicuous. He's saying it's, it's not efficient. It's organic. And let that encourage you today. You know, the world tells you to be flashy, to stand out, to make an impression or get off the bus. You know, let's think about this. What is social media, which is sort of uh, built around this idea? Stand out. What is that doing to the next generation? What is that doing to our souls? To always feel like I have to be doing more. I have to be better. I have to be more impressive. I have to be flashy. What's that doing to our souls? And not only that, the world wants everything now, literally at a click of a button. We can have it all. And what's that doing to our world? What's that doing to God's creation? His kingdom is intentionally unimpressive and slow. Slow growing. 
But why? Because it's like nothing the world has ever seen before. At least our world, our modern world. But as the Supremes reminded us, you can't hurry love. You can't. You can't hurry things like peace or justice either. And God knows that. And so his kingdom, his kingdom is slow growing. It's inconspicuous. It's not flashy. Life under the rule and reign of Jesus is slow. But there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. Slow stages of growth leading to a harvest. You see, his disciples thought, and many in that day thought that the kingdom would come instantly and all at once. Instantly and all at once. And just like his disciples, we can grow frustrated. We can grow impatient. Why is the kingdom not coming yet? Why do we only see flashes of life, signs of life? But why don't we see the full thing? Why is there still so much pain? Why is there still so much hatred, pernicious evil in our world? Why is it so slow? Where's the harvest? How can we be sure that the seeds that Jesus germinated all those years ago are in fact still growing? How can we be sure that the kingdom of God can break through the chaos of the last two years as we start a new year? How can we be so sure? It's because Jesus not only taught us about the kingdom, but he embodied it. He embodied the slow-growing process that he wanted us to learn about. In John chapter 12, Jesus famously says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see what he's saying? That Jesus allowed himself to become like the grain that he spoke of. To allow himself to be crushed, to die so that we can bear the fruit of salvation. He gave his life away, which is the opposite of what we expect God in the flesh to do. He loved us more than his own life. And when it looked like darkness had swallowed up the light of the world, he burst from his grave. So you see, Jesus doesn't just tell us what the kingdom is like. He shows us. He's saying, look at me. Look what I've done. You can trust me. I'm the one reaping it anyway. Trust the process. And by his spirit, he helps us to reimagine life. To reimagine life in the kingdom by looking at him first and saying, okay, there are signs of life. And I can be an ambassador of the king in this broken and tangled and knotted world. Like a plant that pushes through the asphalt, God's kingdom continues to break through into our dark world. It cannot be stopped by the forces 
or powers of this world because it is not of this world. It cannot be thwarted by governments or rulers or leaders because it's not of this world. It can be neither helped nor hurt by us or by anyone. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom, to sow the seeds of the harvest that have been growing for 2,000 years and once sown, just like the, the seeds that you plant in your garden, they will grow on its own. We know not how. But Jesus is saying, I'm the one doing the growing. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we plant, we water, but God brings the growth. We trust the process of growth to the one who's doing all the growing. And that is good news. It's not up to us. It's up to him. He's bringing the growth. We trust him. And in his final uh, parable, just like in embroidery, he gives us one more way to see beauty amidst the knots and tangles uh, to detect the beauty of his kingdom. And he says to not be deceived by appearances. Let's look at verse 30 and following. He said, What can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use it for? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So we have a picture, and when you, when you see a mustard seed, many of you have seen this, um, you would never guess that that turns into this thicket. Which Jesus says the birds of the air can make nests in, in its shade. And in my research, I discovered that in the Mediterranean, there's a, uh, a, a, mustard, uh, a mustard tree called the black mustard. And this is what it turns into, this black mustard thicket. It can grow up to about 15 feet tall. And it becomes this real, one of its unique characteristics is it becomes this really densely, um, sort of tightly uh, grown together um, sort of ecosystem that not only birds, but all sorts of animals live in. And so it's not just a tree on its own, sort of riding solo in, in a field. It's an it's a amazing uh, field's worth of plants, interconnected ecosystem. And so what Jesus is helping us to understand is that when you, when you think about his kingdom, you may not think about the explosive growth um, that we have today. When you think about its inception, right, this, this ragtag group of, of fishermen, uneducated people, sort of nobodies in their day, becoming the world's largest religion. Or when you think about the incarnation, we just celebrated it a few weeks ago. When you think about this helpless baby, you would never imagine who he would become. You could never see from the beginning what its conclusion would be. And Jesus is saying, don't be deceived by appearances. From the beginning, you could never imagine the conclusion, but such is the kingdom of God. And so when you assess your life, when you assess your own heart, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, 
and you're, you're wondering, why haven't I grown in that way that, that I've been praying about for years and years and years? Or why do I still struggle with that sin, that besetting sin? Or why is my love for other people still so minimal and my love for myself still so strong? Remember to not be deceived by appearances. God is growing you, even if it's slower than we wish. Trust me. I know the feeling. And when you look at our church, or when you look at the church, and you grow discouraged, wondering, are we ever going to learn? Are we ever going to welcome people like we say we will? Are we ever going to be the kinds of people that Jesus intended us to be? Don't give up, because Jesus can do so very much with so very little. And he is. He is at work, by the way. He's at work in this church. Our church has changed a lot in the last two years. But God is at work. God is at work. Fervent prayer is one of those works, is one of those signs every week. So many of you are gathering to pray before church. The different groups that are popping up the friendships that have been growing the last two years, the new people that are here are signs of life, are signs of his kingdom at work in our midst. And so be encouraged. He is going to bring a harvest in time. Um, Before we close, I want to share just one simple way that we can practice uh, being part of this kingdom, this beautiful kingdom. Uh, this, in this new year. And you've heard us uh, reference him before, but one of my favorite artists, uh, his name is Makoto Fujimura, a Japanese-American who is a follower of, of Jesus, um, but he's very well respected in the art world. And here are a couple of his paintings, two of my favorites. This one called The Four Gospels, um, and then the next one is probably my all-time uh, favorite by Fujimura, Walking on Water. Just I know it's a little pixelated, but wow, I could stare at that all day. Um, I don't have time to get into the process by which he um, paints his, he uses this very ancient technique, um, and it's just incredible. Um, but in, in one of his books that I uh, have recently been going through, um, he tells a story, um, and I want to just briefly share that. He said, when his wife and he were, were, were really like kind of newlyweds, they were very poor, and they were the quintessential starving artists. And he said he had like a couple of cans of tuna in the, in the pantry. That was it. And they just subsisted on tuna. Like, that was it. They didn't have any money. And uh, one day, his wife uh, came home with um, a huge bouquet of flowers. And uh, Mako uh, tells a story that he was furious with her. He was exasperated. We don't have any money to put food on the table, and you go out and buy, drop 20 bucks on a bouquet? Are you crazy? What are you thinking? He was so angry with her. But what she said in response transformed his life, literally. He wrote a whole book about it. 
And she said this, Mako, we need to feed our souls too. We need to feed our souls too. And so her simple act of love to bring beauty into this home, when he was the artist, he was supposed to be bringing beauty into the home, but he was in survival mode. But what did she do? She brought flowers into her home. And this is what he said. He, he kind of summarized it this way. Culture care is a generative approach to culture that brings bouquets of flowers into a culture bereft of beauty. Beauty can sometimes break through our bedrock assumptions and prepare us to consider possibilities beyond the broken wasteland of our world, just as Judy's bouquet exposed my inner pragmatism, my wasteland vision, and started my journey toward faith and thriving. Beauty has the power, has the power to break the status quo. That's what he's saying. He was in survival mode, and this changed his life. And now he's one of the best artists in the world, let alone the fact that he's a Christian. And I'm so proud that he's a Christian because there's not many wonderful artists out there that are Christians, sadly. It changed him. It changed him forever. Beauty can do that. So this year, the gospel, remember, the gospel compels us to make beautiful things and to live artfully even in these trying times. That's what I want to encourage you to do this year. Make a habit of creating beautiful things and living artfully. So some of you are saying, ah, I'm not creative. There were a couple of you that didn't raise your hand. Yes, we image our creator when we make things. But when we slow down to artfully love, when we slow down enough to be curious about someone else, when we slow down to listen to our kids' little stories or our complaining neighbor, when we slow down, we are living artfully. Art is slow. The gospel was slow. Jesus had to come and be be a baby and grow up. And that took forever. All the parents were like, I know, it takes forever. (laughs) Jesus went through that process to save us. Art is slow. It's never in a hurry. And so as his people, reflections, image bearers of Jesus, let's slow down this year. Let's look around at the beauty. Yes, there's chaos. Yes, there's a tangled mess called the world, called our hearts, called our lives, called our families. I get it. But there's beauty. And that's a sign. That's a sign that there is a king who loves you, that there is a kingdom that is coming. Amen. Amen. Uh, To close, I've asked Beth Robinson, one of the most artful people I know, um, and patient um, people with me. We've been in lots of classes. She's been so patient with me over the last couple of years. But I've asked her, 
uh, to, to lead us in a closing prayer. You can come on up. And as she's making her way up, uh, this is a prayer uh, that N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, um, he wrote in his book, Surprised by Hope. And so we've adapted it just a little bit. But, we, but I hope that this blesses every image bearer in the room today. And that means all of us. So let her close us in prayer. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself. You are accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. This is the logic of the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, by your spirit, fill us with your resurrection power until your kingdom comes in its fullness. For the glory of your Son and the beautification of your world, we pray these things. Amen.